Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Mm-hmm. It says, you look at your house is left desolate, in desert. Desolate means desolation. There's nothing there. Everything is destroyed. And verse 39 says, until when? He says, for I tell you, you will not see God's hand. You will not see the Lord again until you change your attitude and are able to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, our welcoming the spirit of God and the presence of God and the word of God is what causes us to thrive and increase and grow. And so what do we do with people that do things inappropriately in the office of preacher uh, to be able to understand, to pray for them, uh, to ask God uh, his favor upon them? Because this is the difference. Once you start cursing the guy who brings the message of God because he's not catering to your preference, um, the likelihood is you're just going to walk out and not have anybody speaking into your life. So as I was sitting there listening to this man, and uh, Jeremiah 16, 16 says, there is some that God will use like a fisherman, but there is some that God will use as a hunter. And, and so that guy was blowing people away with, with his really harsh words. And God says like this, I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. And after that, I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them down on every high mountain and hill and every cave and crevice of the rocks. Every hard place needs a hard hitter. How many say amen? So if this preacher was going up to these 13-year-old kids, they've been preached a thousand times already. And they continue hard. The hook has been out there with the bait and they're not biting. So God brought a preacher in with a double-barrel shotgun saying, you're going to burn in hell. And so that had an effect on many of the, of the young people. Because now they will consider their ways. Because many times it seems to be we won't listen to God until we are between a rock and a hard place. Until we're really uh, pushed into that scenario. So uh, always be ready. And this is what I'm talking about as a head of the household, as a father, as a man. You must inquire of the Lord. Because there's things happening in the lives of your children. You cannot be... You cannot be distant, and, and the, the mysteries of his goodness are in the word of God. So if you're not searching the scripture, when things are happening, you have nowhere um, to go, you know, to, to bring something that's going to heal the heart of your children and set them in a proper light. But it's the man's responsibility. So um, I just encourage you, um, you know, and when man gets right, you'll see that... Um, the, st the statistics are this. When a 10-year-old comes to the Lord, 20% um, of the families come to the Lord. We have, we have children in our church here that brought their parents and their, and their moms uh, and the families to the Lord. When a woman comes to the Lord, there's like a 40% uh, amount of the families that come to God as a result of a woman coming to the Lord. And that's been the case here also. In the case in our house, my mom was the first one to get saved, and then we're part of that 40%. But when a man gets saved, 80% of the homes come to the Lord. Isn't that powerful? And so here it is. We're not only to be saved ourselves, man. We, we need to reach the men in our communities. 
We're to reach our friends and, and, and those people that God has put around us because that'll make a big difference. Um, we can witness to children, we can witness to women, but when we witness to men, they're the ones that lead their families. And, and so, again, if you see what's happening in Christendom today, if you see what is the order of even business, I want to tell you the truth, even business, you'll see that the majority of the people that are at the forefront of what's going on are women and children. And the Bible says that that's a curse. That's a curse because men are absent. And so yesterday as we were watching Marco Rubio, I, I like him a lot. I think he's a fascinating guy. But I would have preferred seeing a 70-year-old statesman, someone who loves this country, a patriarch, not a young guy. I, I don't like to see Nancy Pelosi as the leader of Congress. I, not because she's a Democrat. We told the men yesterday, this is not about being part of a Republican elephant or a Democrat donkey. We're preaching the Lamb of God. Amen. We're not into elephants or donkeys. We're into truth and wisdom. And so, yeah, Marco Rubio was able to respond, but I would have rather seen a statesman, somebody who had been there for 30, 40 years, not a junior senator, uh, who doesn't have experience. But that is the sign of the times. Men have forsaken their responsibility. And so it's sad as all out. Um, I was able to enjoy uh, somebody like Ben Carson. He's a, he's a doctor. He's a neurosurgeon. You can look him up on YouTube. Um, and uh, Ben Carson is, is about 60, 65 years old, and they invited him to the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., and the president and the first lady and the vice president were there. And they said, we invited this man this morning to be our speaker. But number one, the number one reason why they invited Dr. Ben Carson, is, he's a neurosurgeon, is because he loves Jesus Christ. And number two, because he has a fascinating life story. And number three, because of the great accomplishments as he's the senior neurosurgeon of the Department of Pediatric Surgeries in John Hopkins uh, in Baltimore. So uh, they invited him, and he stands up there, has a lot of accolades, but he started off with four Bible verses. He, he just opened up the Bible. He says, I want to start out with Bible verses because they, they established the context of what I'm gonna talk about today. And so we need these men to raise up in our generation. And, and this is not, listen to me, this is not about academics. This is not about going to school and learning books. This is about being in the presence of God. This is about putting your nose in the Bible and searching the depth of God's wisdom and, and, and walking in the fear of the Lord. So, so we want to encourage you to that. And, and, and the reason we want you to encourage you to that is because there are people who surround you that need you to stop being disabled and handicapped in your convictions and in your walk with the Lord. You need to prop up and be the strong strength of those that surround you. Uh, I thank God for what he's doing in this house um, I'm excited uh, for what happened at the marriage conference. Um, it was really powerful. And, and if, if the nations, and that's the promise of God, the nations of the earth will run to us and they will ask us, teach us the way of the Lord. So that's what we're pressing into is knowing God and, and being the light of the world. While the world is uh, tanking it in stress, in 
I'll tell you why. They've decided not to go to God. That's, that's the reason that we're having all the issues we are. People have decided not to follow after the way of the Lord. So now, if you're not following the Lord, you're, you're going to be devastated and lost. Those of us who have decided that that is our stronghold, that that is our rock and strong place and tower, um, there's rejoicing in our hearts because there's nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Uh, it says no famine, no sword, no peril. Nothing could come at us that could shake us off this unshakable kingdom. So uh, we had a great time on Sunday uh, as we uh, looked at this issue of world-changing laughter. But let's press in a little bit. Um, we have a video back there, right? Yeah, I went back there to fix it. This is, this is a young man whose father left him when he was three. Listen, listen to the state. This is the real state of our union right here. Not what Barack Obama said last night. This is it right here. Let's go ahead and watch this. As a boy, I shared a game with my father. Played it every morning till I was three. He would knock, knock on my door and I'd pretend to be asleep till he got right next to the bed. Then I would get up and jump into his arms. Good morning, Papa. And my Papa, he would tell me that he loved me. We shared a game. Knock, knock. Until that day when the knock never came. And my mama takes me on a ride past cornfields on this never-ending highway till we reach a place of high, rusty gates. A confused little boy I entered the building carried in my mama's arms. Knock, knock. We reach a room of windows and brown faces. Behind one of the windows sits my father. I jump out of my mama's arms and run joyously towards my papa's, only to be confronted by this window. I knock, knock, trying to break through the glass, trying to get to my father. I knock, knock as my mama pulls me away before my papa even says a word. And for years he has never said a word, and so 25 years later I write these words for the little boy in me who still awaits his papa's knock. Papa, come home because I miss you. Miss you waking me up in the morning and telling me you love me. Papa, come home because there's things I don't know and I thought maybe you could teach me how to shave, how to dribble a ball, how to talk to a lady, how to walk like a man. Papa, come home because I decided a while back I want to be just like you, but I'm forgetting who you are. And 25 years later, a little boy cries, and so I write these words and try to heal and try to father myself. And I dream up a father who says the words my father did not. Dear son, I'm sorry I never came home. For every lesson I failed to teach, hear these words. Shave in one direction with strong, deliberate strokes to avoid irritation. Dribble the page with the brilliance of your ballpoint pen. Walk like a god, and your goddess will come to you. No longer will I be there to knock on your door, so you must learn to knock for yourself. Knock, knock down doors of racism and poverty that I could not. Knock, knock on doors of opportunity for the lost brilliance of the black men who crowd these cells. Knock, knock with diligence for the sake of your children. Knock, knock for me, for as long as you are free, these prison gates cannot contain my spirit. Spirit. The best of me still lives in you. Knock, knock with the knowledge that you are my son, but you are not my choices. Yes, we are our father's sons and daughters, but we are not their choices. But despite their absences, we are still here, still alive, still breathing, with the power to change this world, one little boy and girl at a time. Knock, knock, who's there? We are. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that very powerful? And so it's time for us to arise with the Spirit of the Lord and to go out there and be Father of nations. That's God's desire. We've got to stop being negligent and stop walking contrary to the heart of God. And so we had a good time on Sunday, but let's go ahead and press in. And, and Wednesday becomes that time of serious Bible study where you see that there's a few
that uh, really are passionately about pursuing God's purpose for their life. Father, we give you thanks tonight for your goodness in this place. We pray, O oh God, that you would continue to speak to our hearts and that we would find, O oh God, all things pertaining to godliness and truth, all things that accompany salvation. We pray, Father God, that we would understand world-changing laughter as we did on Sunday. But tonight, Father God, we also press in to that which is a hindrance and an obstacle for us to attain that laughter and joy. For many times it's crisis that is the state of our affairs and circumstances. So allow us to press in and understand the why of these things. And pray, Father God, that we would have the victory despite the setbacks. That we would have, O oh God, refreshing despite the adversity. And that we count it all joy in the midst of tribulation and trials. Knowing that our character is being perfected according to your purpose. Now bless your word and allow it to be a, a, a seed planted in each heart, Lord. Allow it to be a double-edged sword. Allow it to be a lamp unto our feet. Allow it to breathe the life of God into us. Allow it, O oh God, to transform the fool to become wise. And that we might continue forward, raising up according to the character, the fullness of the measure of a perfect man in Christ Jesus, Lord. Prosper your word in our hearts. And let it be sent out and not return void, O oh God. But that in each opportunity, that your word might deliver us, O oh God, and set us free from the lies and deceptions of our enemy, O oh God. Raise us up in this generation that we would be a voice, O oh God, and be able to speak with passion and conviction. And that our truth, Lord, that we... Declare and proclaim, O oh God, would transform the nations so they might draw near to God. Prosper your word this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's very comical to hear anybody speak about laughter. And our experience is not that of laughter. Uh, our experience is of difficulty, hardship, adversity, pain, and conflict. And, and this is what ushers out of the heart of man given the opportunity. And many times it becomes a, a stumbling stone to us enjoying uh, the health of uh, the, the creation God did. But here it is that crisis is generally the reason why um, we're held back from laughter. And, and we were talking about it yesterday that men go through, we were having lunch yesterday, and we were saying that if man continues to point to the area of crisis, and you could put the slide up there for us, if, if man continues to say, this is why I'm not happy, and then that goes away, and then he says, this is why I'm not happy, and then that goes away, and he, he spends his whole life pointing to crisis to justify his depressed state. And I want to challenge you tonight to understand why God allowed for crisis to be in our lives. One of the most um, amazing feelings that a man might have is to be able to overcome crisis. That's, that's something that is, um, is God's desire for us to bring us to true strength. And um, I remember being in law school and and I was there the first semester, first week of class, and, and it, was, it was grueling hard. And I, I really felt to get up and to leave. But something, and knowing that I was, uh, being, I was being led into an area that would perfect my character, 
convince me to stay and to put up with it. I remember the first time they gave me uh, an exam about an inch thick, and I looked at that thing, and I started laughing. I said, this is not going to happen. And I almost, almost literally got, right after they gave it to me, I almost got up and went to the teacher and gave it back and said, you know something, I guess I will go into another career. But I sat down there and I went through those pages. I said, the the, the only thing I could do in the midst of this hardship is do my best. This is the only thing I could do. I can't do more and I'm I'm definitely not going to withdraw and give up. And that's that's the two aspects that, that we have to confront with every issue that we face. Uh, The majority of the men find it easier to withdraw, back up, give in, quit, and leave. And those men will never attain to the purpose of why crisis is in our life. For every crisis becomes an opportunity to step and go up or to stumble and fall down. Depending on how you look at the crisis, Crisis is the, is the, uh, is the purpose and, and, and turning point. Um, it's, 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 a, it's an angle. It's the opportunity. It's the pre- Listen to me. Crisis is the precise moment to, to move in the direction that God desires for incredible positive results. Listen to me. Listen very carefully because God is instructing you with wisdom tonight. He expects us to become not just those willing to stay, not those willing to overcome, but at a large capacity to be more than conquerors, more than overcomers. With each adversity, with each setback, there's something taking place there that comes straight from the hand of God. And, and every one of these crises is a point of change. And the truth of the matter is, um, we feel very, uh, the word crisis many times says, uh, a, a point of instability. There's something that we don't feel comfortable with. There's something that we get on edge. It produces stress. It, it produces something even emotionally and sentimentally when we're confronted with crisis. And so here it is, um, when things uh, are coming against us at, at that level, One of the things that the Lord wants us to understand is that crisis is constant. There's three three positions in front of crisis that men are constantly in. They say you're either in crisis, you're presently in crisis, you just came out of a crisis, and that, 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 that separates two classes of people. You're in horrible crisis or you came out of crisis. And then you say, no, pastor, I haven't been in crisis. I'm not coming out. And you're about to go into crisis. It's the normal cycle of life. And, and um, crisis is constant and change is constant. Those things are normal and common. Um, I wish somebody would have told me early on that that was what's going to be our reality. I didn't find out till I was a pastor for 10 years, and then I went up to Chicago to the Bible Moody uh, College to a pastor's conference, and, and a pastor says, listen to me, uh, suffering is the way of life. I said, well, if they would have told me a long time ago, I would have enjoyed the process a lot more. I didn't realize that everything was a stretch, that everything God, every day was going to stretch me. He was going to grow me. Law school stretched my brain. They just bent it out of warp. Now, I, I used to hate 
seeing blood or people get hurt or, you know, I would faint. Um, but after law school, man, I could see somebody's brain fall out and I'm like, it's no big deal, man. Because when you go through deep crisis, it strengthens your inner man. Isaiah chapter 40, verse four says like this. He says that, um, prepare ye the way of the Lord. We're gonna start in verse three. Isaiah 40, verse three. There's a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Start, start, this is what crisis is doing in our life. It's preparing us for more of God. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight that which is in the wilderness, the paths that are in the, the wilderness, straight in the wilderness, a highway for our God. So you'll see that like a hammer and a chisel is beaten away. All our crises, all the situations are doing a work in our lives. And so, you know, standing still and playing dead is a good part of crisis. Let God do his thing. Let, let, every, um, let every trial have its perfect work. Because in every area, God is perfecting different issues in our life. And so verse 4 says like this. It says, every valley shall be raised up. Imagine that you, you're just like, this is the way I am, man. I'm just a valley. Yeah, God wants to make you a mountain. God wants to stretch you and pull you out where you didn't thought you were capable of being pulled out of. So every mountain will be pulled up. Every hill will be made low. I want to go up. And he says, no. I'm, I'm going to bring things in your life that are going to bring you down. He says, um, the rough ground shall be made smooth. And, and the rugged places shall be plain. See, it's all a matter of God sticking his hand in our lives and us having the confidence to say, Lord, you can mess with me. You can really touch me. You could, you could, and, and, and it's going to be in every direction. I, I remember I, I had graduated as a law student, as a lawyer. I started working, and I got my first malpractice lawsuit. Somebody complained with the, it wasn't a lawsuit, it was a Florida bar complaint. And, and I said, this is just right down wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. And I was like, Lord, why do you allow bad things to come into my life? This is not fair. I said, I haven't been a lawyer for a, not even a whole year. And, and already my first complaint from somebody that I, I was doing a favor. And the Lord responded like this. He goes, you trust me? I said, Lord, yeah, but this isn't fair. He goes, I'm taking you through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm taking you through suffering. I go, Lord, just as long as we're going through and we're not staying here. Just as long as this is not going to impact. He goes like this. He says, I need somebody who has gone through the suffering of injustice so that you can comfort others. But wait a second. I haven't done nothing wrong. It's not about what you did wrong. It's about, I need an instrument in this generation that knows what suffering is. I need, I need you to trust me. And I say, okay, Lord, if you're taking me through this trial, I'll trust you. Because he's perfecting a character in us. And, and, and listen, that was only the beginning. That was only the beginning of suffering. Because now, as more things have happened in my life, I'm like, going through another valley. And I'm at peace. And so the suffering and the crisis has brought a more... Uh, a more mature character in my life. As we understand it more, you'll see that the entire world, from the time you're born to the time you die, is in the constant state of change and fluctuation. 
So if change produces crisis and change is constant, what is crisis? Constant. It's normal. Every time there's a crossroads, there's an opportunity for you to, ah! or for you to say, okay, I'm going to take another little walk here. God wants to show me a different perspective in life. He wants to show me a different insight in what's going on. So here it is, constant uh, crisis is constant, change is constant, and, and so people's lives that are constantly changing, uh, and I want to ask you a couple questions. Have you changed friends since you were a child? Yeah. Have, have you been closer to certain family members and now you're closer to other family members? Yeah, there was change. And so if at every moment of change, you're going to freak out and have a crisis, you're not going to enjoy life because you're going to continue. And, and you'll see that the Bible says like this. He says, we're being transformed from glory to glory. How does that happen? The producing glory is, is the character of God. So if we're going from character of God to character of God, what's in the in-between? The stretching, the crisis, the difficulty, because he's trying to forge in you that which is going to resemble the presence of God. And so everything changes in people's lives. Their health changes, their friends changes, their jobs changes, uh, politics change, world powers change, um, business changes, the industries we're in change. Um, I, you know, for those people that hate computers, guess what? You must be living hell on earth right now because everything is computers. And so uh, it, it reminds me of those men who get married and, and they come to, to get a divorce. They come for counseling and, and they tell me, Pastor, you just don't understand or, or lawyer, you don't understand. My wife is just not the same person I married. I'm like, uh-huh, <laughs> duh. Thank God she's not. A woman says, well, my husband's changed so much since we got married. Yeah, you guys have been married for 20 years. I hope he's changed. I hope he's a different person. I hope that he's nothing like he was when you first met him. So in all these aspects, um, we need to understand these things. We need to embrace them. Things are so different now than they were at the beginning. Yes. Uh, somebody told me once, the church, Spring of Life, is not like it used to be 10 years ago when it started. Yeah, obviously, you know, there's growth, there's maturity, there's more responsibility. Well, Pastor, I remember you used to sit with us all week long. Yeah, there was like five people in church, yeah. Now there's 500 and, and things have changed and it produces crisis and some people do not like that. So here it is. Many times men and women want a desire of utopia. All things remain the same and never change and any minimal, bare, uh, barely noticeable uh, difference in what's going on in their lives. And so that simply does not exist. It's a big lie. It's, it's very much a fantasy of immaturity. I want to finger paint. I want to, I remember school was so easy. I remember when I first started, everything was, you know, I, I, there was a time where they would say, okay, it's nap time. Let's go to nap time. Whatever happened to nap time? So change is constant. Crisis is contact, co constant. A, a, a transforming of our character is constant. And so this, this is a sign that we are alive. Could you tell your neighbor that you're just alive? That's all. You're living life on the earth. Things are changing. There's crisis. You're, you're alive. That's all, that's all it's to prove of. When you're not changing, you're dead, my friend. You're a corpse. 
With crisis, we face individually and together an opportunity for a better tomorrow, a better life. As we begin to um, be transformed in this character. And so here it is, as men face these crises, there's the sentiment of stress that comes in life. And, and there's no lie, you're not supposed to go through these things without emotional um, manifestation. The, the, very, the very thing that we're lifting up a greater level of weight, uh, we're confronting more responsibility. Um, it's supposed to be the more crisis you go through, the easier and the stronger you are. Um, very important that you understand this, that your, your strength is going to be determined by the weight of the circumstances you're able to carry. So here's what we learn in crisis. So number one, um, when you're in crisis, you're going to learn um, how to, to go through it in a manner that pleases God. This is the, the, the one thing that is constant. When I went through my kidney stone, I told you guys, okay, Lord, I'm going through this process, that, that, that bar complaint with the lawyer, with, with, with a client. Uh, it's, not, it's not the crisis that determines my attitude. I'm trying to live in the midst of terrible situation, that which pleases God. Okay, God, this is painful, and, and you know, I understand you allowed this, and now I want to traverse the conflict and difficulty in a manner that honors you. Teach me. Whether it's a, it's a den of lions, whether it's, it's a fiery furnace, whatever God is permitting in our life, the most important thing about controversy, crisis, hardship is that we go through it in a manner that honors God, that we have right standing before God. Number two, that we understand that in the midst of that crisis, God is desiring for you to look to Him for strength and for help. Because his game plan in the midst of our crisis is, listen to me, always leads us to triumph. We follow God in the midst of our difficulty, and we see this all throughout the Bible. Those people that inquired of the Lord and lived according to God's game plan, they were delivered out of mouth of lions. They were delivered out of uh, fighting Goliath. They sought the Lord in the midst of their trials and the Lord gave them a strategy to overcome. So it, one, we want to honor God going through the process, trusting Him. Two, going to Him to find strength. And then three, understanding that God is always, and, and there, there's very few times that I, I like to speak with the word always, but the Bible tells us, and we're going to read it right now. He always leads us to triumph. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Let's read that. Because that has to be at the forefront of your trial. Thanks be to God. He always leads us to triumph. Following uh, the procession in Christ. And through us, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Uh, one of the most powerful things of Christ is if we're following God in this, he's strengthening us, he's leading us to victory, that turns everybody towards God. In other words, that your crisis is an opportunity for people to see the reality of God. Because people would swear. You remember when, uh, when uh, Paul had the conflict of the snake that bit him? And, and there he was, a poisonous snake, and they knew he was supposed to die. And they all sat there and watched. Let's see this man in crisis. And he shook the snake off into the fire. And they, they kept on watching. When, when is this guy going to fall apart? 
And guess what? He didn't fall apart. And the effects of death were not present, but they glorified God. They began to, to understand that there was something greater than crisis, and that's God. And so some people can never enjoy laughter because they live from crisis to crisis. You know how the people emphasize, look what happened to me now. Look what happened to me now. Look what happened to me. Listen to me. Forget about it. You're, you're celebrating at the wrong point. You're supposed to go from glory to glory, not from crisis to crisis. Every hardship is, is a stepping stone to manifest the character of God. You're not supposed to manifest that which is not God's character. And that is all determined by, by how you respond in the midst of these hardships. How you respond in the midst of difficulties. And so we continue to say God's character is being revealed in the face of crisis. Your patience. Um, when they murdered our drummer's uh, mother uh, about 12 years ago, a little bit more I think, um, they murdered her and, and people were watching him. They're like, is he going to go to a psychiatrist? Is he going to go crazy? Is he going to be on pills the rest of his life? Listen to me. I haven't met a more peaceful man and joyful man than Javier. Enjoying his wife. He's not traumatized. He's not looking at his, at his daughters in, in some weird fashion. The character of, guys, uh, of Christ is revealed in the midst of the harshest of trials. In the midst of the harshest of trials, that's when you see the depth of the reality of God. And so one thing we never know in crisis uh, what, what, what will be that crisis? When will God choose that opportunity to bring hardship into your life? But how many after tonight are going to know? I don't know when it's coming, but I know it's coming. I don't know what it's going to be, but I know that God will be faithful. I'm going to seek God to honor him in the midst of my difficulties. I'm going to seek him for strength. I'm going to seek him for the victory. I'm going to make sure that in this time of testing, I not lose my testimony. I not lose my strength. I not lose my stability, my, my confidence in God. That's when it is really tested. Crisis is normal, change is normal. The stress of crisis is normal. Christ wants to be revealed. No one who's alive can seriously expect to have no crisis in his life. And that's how we understand laughter and joy. We're not, we're not living a falsehood fantasy. We're expecting those people that are around us to be possibly the very source of our crisis. And, and, and we'll get into that in a second. But I just, I just realized here, um, we'll go through this, what to do in crisis, how to handle crisis, where to get help in the moments of crisis, how crisis is positive instead of negative. All crisis is for the positive. In, in the purpose and divine writings and authorships of God. And we said this when we taught on world-changing poem. Poems get uh, sometimes depressing. But a poet will tell you he never finishes a poem without having the expression of joy, of purpose, of, of significance. And here is David the psalmist. And, and we also figured out why God did not give man wings. You guys know why we don't have wings? Because we'd fly away. Every time there's a problem, the man would, he'd take off. So there it is in Psalm 55. And 
Verse 6, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would have no problems. I'd fly to the highest mountain and nobody would bother me no more. I would fly to the farthest desert and I wouldn't have a problem. In verse 4, he says like this, my heart is grievously pained within me. I'm so anguished. The terrors of crisis and death are surrounding me. Verse 5, fear and trembling have beset me. They, they have surrounded him and they say, we're not going to let you go. Horror has overwhelmed me. That sounds like crisis. How many say amen? Verse 6, oh, that I would have wings like a dove, I would fly away. I would be at rest. I would just resolve this already. Verse 7, yes, I would wander far away and I would live in a desert. Verse 8, I would hurry up to escape and find shelter from the stormy wind and tempest. It's man's tendency many times to flee in the midst of crisis. And crisis is a continually coming from those people that are nearest to us. And, and you'll see that he says it like that. And I'll go to Psalm 55 again. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why is it always a relative, a close friend, a brother, a ministry partner, the one that's causing my problems? Why does it always have to be somebody related to me? Why does it always have to be a friend? Why does it have to be somebody that is a church? Verse 12, Psalm 55, 12. For it was not an enemy that caused me to have crisis and was insulting. If it was an enemy, I could put up with it because I, I don't like my enemies. If it were a foe raising himself against me, I could hide from him. I could avoid him. Verse 13, but it was a man of my equal, just like me, my companion, my close friend. Somebody who is acquainted. Verse 14 says, we took sweet counsel together. We even went to church together. We walked into the house of God. And so as he's asking for all these things, I say, Lord, why does it always have to be somebody close to me? And the Lord says, because you don't hang out with anybody you don't hang out with. In other words, the people that you don't hang out with cannot ever have any opportunity to do anything to you. Why? Because they're never there. It needs to be somebody who's close to you. Crisis is always coming from those people that surround us, whether it's at work, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's at a family, whether it's at church. That's where crisis is going to come from. And you would have to be an alien and a Martian and fly away to another planet where there was no one there and you would say, you know something? I have nobody to create me a problem. But that's not God's purpose. It's God's purpose that through many trials and many afflictions that you would be perfected to enter the kingdom of God. Amen. And these are going to come, yes, from that person who's sitting right next to you right now. And they will determine the strength of your character and your godliness according to the crisis and difficulties of the change they produce. Proverbs 24.10, this is a verse that we don't like. It says, you don't know how big and strong of a Christian you are until there comes a crisis in your life. If you falter in times of crisis, how small is your strength? The measure of your character according to Christ is God allowing things to take place into your life and just sitting back to watch you respond to those things?
No, he's still not where I want him to be. He's still not where he claims to be. He's still not walking in the character of Christ. It still hasn't been perfected. And the greatest source and inspiration that births this reality in our lives is looking at Christ. I want to tell you, I don't know the trials and the crises you've had, but none of the ones I have experienced have reached the level of Christ. And the Bible says he is our source. Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from wicked men. We're to meditate. This is, listen to me, if you're ever depressed about what you're going through, I want you to grab Hebrews 12, 3 and, and just read it over and meditate on it a good hundred times. Start concentrating on everything Jesus went through. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Slapped, crowned with thorns, speared on the side, nailed to the cross, spat upon, mocked, living a life without the companions, they all forsook him. And so I want you to know that, that in the midst of crisis, you say, you know something, Christ is getting perfected in me. I'm going through this hardship because he needs to be revealed. In Acts chapter 5, verse 40, after the disciples saw what happened to Christ and what he paid as the price of their salvation, they said like this, if only we had an opportunity to suffer like he did. If only we had an opportunity. It says like this. It says in, in verse 40, so convinced by uh, his speech persuaded them and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. That's whipped with, with, in, a, in a bad manner. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Wait, 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 we, we didn't, what, did they give them a present or something? No, they received the lashes. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. They didn't go out of the church going, they said, you know something, I got to suffer for Jesus today. I, man, I got to go through hardship. I, I was afflicted. I went through a hard time. These are, these are the, the leaders of God's people. These are the Sanhedrin were, were the leaders of the people of Israel, religiously speaking. They were, they were the spiritual leaders of Israel. And so Christ being perfected on us requires crisis and, and stress and hardship and trials. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Why? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of God. Suffering disgrace, hardship. And so you'll see that the rest of the followers of Christ, they made this uh, um, a constant reality. 2 Corinthians 3.18 said like this, He who with unveiled faces reflects the glory, and we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing being more and more like his glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There is no other way to, to produce the manifestation of his character like crisis does. 
Uh, one of the things that, that I enjoy um, in the midst of hardship and crisis is say, hey, you know something? Let's pray. Let's take it, because we know pray for anything. And, and we usually, in the midst of crisis, we're cursing. We're not thanking God. And so in, in this process of crisis and hardship, I've learned that when we call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord shows up. The Lord does his job. It says like this in, in Psalm 84, verse 7, it says, through these sufferings, they are being perfected. And it says like this, 84, verse 7. Verse 6. Verse 5. It says, blessed is the man who in the midst of crisis, his strength is God, in whose heart are the ways of them who passing through the valley of Baca, that's the valley of tears, make it a well. The rain also fills the pools. Why does God even bring crisis in their life? So they could go from strength to strength. Every one of them will appear before God in Zion. These are, these are champions and heroes that, listen to me, nothing has ever been celebrated in a life of a person who didn't go through crisis. Every hero and champion ever written about has been a man, a woman, who has faced opposition, trials, and hardships and came through on the other side shining bright for his glory. So you, you strip yourself down and you say, Lord, you know something? I'm going through this valley, but I, I, I'm not going to sit there and give in in the midst of difficulty and hardship. I want to see the other side of this valley. I want to see the other side of this trial. When Molly lost her husband last year, and he went to Uganda for three weeks on a marriage conference tour, and he died the first week in a car accident. And I said, Molly, I refuse to... To, yeah, it, it was hard, the loss of life. But I knowing my God, I refuse to say the end of the story is there. There's a deep-seated purpose in what God is doing. And, and God doesn't do anything without incredible purpose. So these men knew in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side. As, as a believer, as a man walking with God, a man trusting God, a man understanding hardship and crisis, he says, on every side. Could you tell your neighbor every side? If you're missing a side, you're not going to be perfected. There has to be an area. I, I have even told pastors in training, I've told pastors in training, you have to go through every single phase of character training in God. What's that mean? You've got to go through a health issue. You got to go through a financial issue. You got to go through a betrayal of a friend. You got to go through times of famine, times of that you think, okay, God's not going to show up. You need to be fully proven in every area. Your children will have to be sick so that you can sit there and tell somebody, I know what you're going through. I know exactly how you feel. I know that you feel that there's nothing in your power to do. And I've been there, hard pressed on every side. He says, but not crushed. This is not over yet. I'm not throwing the towel. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'm perplexed. I don't understand what's going on. I'm confused. I mean, this, some crisis will come like, like a rug that's pulled out of your feet. And you're like, what? 
How is God allowing this? Doesn't make sense. He says, but not, not in despair. Not without hope. I'm still hoping when I don't understand that God is going to turn this thing upside down. In a moment that I least expect it, God is going to show up. He says, persecuted, but not forsaken. When everybody has, is criticizing, everybody has left, you still feel the embrace of God's reality. Struck down, pulled down, uh, brought down low, not destroyed. And people 15 years ago, oh, you're going to see, nothing's going to happen. Listen to me. If I would have thrown the towel and quit, we would have never seen a lot of things. If we would have hightailed it out of here, you're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to do nothing. If that would have been sufficient in the midst of that crisis, we would not be here. He says, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. We're still ticking. Take a licking, keep ticking. Always carrying, constantly suffering the death of Christ his, his, so that his life will be manifested in our body. The hardships come so that he might, that, you know, when, when there's no, no faith and you withstand crisis, that's Christ. You ran out of faith already. Now you're walking on his faith. Now you're walking on, on what he has. It says like this, um, so that death is working in us, Everything, one of these things kills our ego, kills our pride, kills our self-sufficiency, kills our, our, our pity parties. How many want to get rid of your pity party already? That's, that's a bad, get rid of that. That's not going to accompany you into the kingdom of God. There's nobody in the kingdom of God going saying, oh, poor me. No way. God is killing that in our lives through crisis. He says, so death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This work is, is being seen. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Verse 16. We're not going to lose heart. We're not throwing in the towel in the midst of our, even though the outward man is suffering. I could swear the loss of hair and, 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 and you know, all these things in our life are, are going through these hardships, going through difficulties. But the inner man is being renewed day by day for this light affliction. He calls crisis a light affliction which is but for a moment. These crises are, are boom, boom, boom. Um, I'm not going to sit around one of my crises and, and make it an altar and sit there my whole life. It's like, okay, brother, perfect me in the area you need to perfect me, polish me, work me out, make me lose what I need to lose and obtain what I need to obtain. I need to go on to the next one. I need to go on to the next session of God's dealing in my life. While we do not look at the things which are seen, we're seeing the things that are not. For the things that are seen, these things that we concentrate, making crisis the pivotal point of our existence, making decisions based on hard, temporary hardships, are you insane? Are you insane? They have their purpose. Their purpose is that you might be more like Christ. And so Paul says, 2 Corinthians 11, he says, uh, is there anybody who's chosen? Is there anybody that belongs to God? So am I. I'm just as part of all these dealings as anybody, and I'm a man who will walk in the faith of Abraham. Verse 23, they're servants of God, so am I. More in labors, more abundant in stripes, above in prisons. And, and he just starts going through a list of crises. And, and at the end of this, he says, all these things, in all these things, I rejoice because the glory of God is being revealed. The the supernatural life of God is manifest 
as I walk in these things. And so my friend, as we rejoice, like James chapter 1 verse 2 says, it says, count it all joy when you enter into these crisis moments. When you face these many trials, verse 3, because you know that these things are testing your faith to develop your perseverance, verse 4, and perseverance must finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking any area of your life. And so we know that all, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We could read that. Um, and we could rejoice that in the midst of whatever's going on. Romans 8, 35. Nothing shall separate us from the fellowship we have in Christ's love. It's not going to be trouble. It's not going to be hardship. It's not going to be what people talk about us. It's not going to be times of need and famine. It's not going to be nakedness. It's not going to be danger or sword. We're not going to be ashamed. It says in verse um, 36, as it's written, for, we, uh, for your sake we face death and crisis all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38. For I am convinced that there's no death that will occur. And there is no height of life that will occur. Nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any power. Verse 39. Neither height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to remove and separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In John 16, Jesus says like this, I've told you these things that your peace might be in me. That's where we have to see the common denominator of all these things. I've it's not the health that makes us feel good. It's not the offense and the non-offense that makes us feel good. It's not you know, being free of problems that makes us rejoice. He says that in me you might have peace. That's sufficient. God, I trust you. You're, you're awesome. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have crisis. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Let's stand tonight. And you could understand why the Bible tells us to, to give thanks in the midst of difficulty. It's, it's a time to change your angle, change your perspective, change your attitude, change your, your, uh, your reach. You're being stretched. Oh, Lord, I want to be a, a man of faith, but please don't send any infirmities my way. I want, to, I want to be a powerhouse and believe you and walk on the waters. Just I don't want to go near the ocean. I don't want to go near any H2O. No. If we're going to be men and women of God, I, I promise you, you're going you're to face a lot of adversity. And you see it in the life of David. As a young boy, he says, I already faced the lion. I already faced the bear. And I'm ready for this giant. I've already been through the trials. I've already bent my knees. I've, I've already waited upon the Lord. I'm stronger and I'm ready to go to the next level. So these are the purposes of hardship and trials. Um, and... And this is not to quit. This is not to throw in the towel. This is not to turn around and retreat. This is not to pray for wings so you could fly to a place where there is no people. Uh, one man told me once, if it wasn't for my wife, I would be a perfect husband. 
you're a winner or a wiener, one of the two. Um, that's not good. You need to be a loving husband with the worst of wives there. With the most hardships and difficulties of wives, you need to overcome that battle and that crisis. I would be a great wife. I would be a Proverbs 31 if it wasn't for this guy, this husband of mine. Well, guess what? He's perfecting your character so that you could grow strong in the Lord. Father, we give you thanks tonight for your goodness in our lives. We give you thanks for what we have heard tonight. We receive your word. We receive the spirit of your word, the impartation of your ministry that you continue to further that work in our hearts, in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in the church. And Father God, uh, there is still yet more crisis to come. There is, there is more difficulty and trouble, Lord. And you said that in this world we'll have trouble. But you desire that our peace would be found in you. And that we not fear because you have overcome the world. There is nothing that will come against us, O oh Lord, that you cannot handle, that you will not be sufficient to address. So we pray that you would crown us with your peace, that you would strengthen us with your grace, and allow us, Father God, to shine for the glory of the character to be revealed, because when you come, we shall see you face to face, and we will be just like you. We give you thanks for the goodness of the Lord that presents itself reaching out to us in every situation. You're the ever-present help in the time of need. We could always go before your throne of grace and receive mercy and grace, Lord, in the time of our affliction and difficulty. And that we would see these things not so that we could posture ourselves against people and situations, persons and places, but that we might grow more mature that we might have more love, more kindness, more patience, that we would go a, another mile to embrace those that need to be embraced, to love the unlovable. And give you thanks, O oh God, for your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't you go over to your neighbor and say, hey, keep on trucking. The crisis has not knocked you down. Let's go forward.